0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Let's begin, shall we, with a reading from the Word of God. I'll be reading today from Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8 says this, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him, you made him less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Now, if you would grab your hymnals, please, and turn to... Chimnal number 31, will be singing I Exalt Thee. Well, good morning, everybody, again. My name is Ryan, and I'm part of the family here at the Humble Patch Community Chapel here in Stuttgart. We believe that we, we serve and worship a God that is loving and warm and, and welcoming. So from the moment you set foot in this chapel, we hope and pray that you felt the warmth and the grace, graciousness and the kindness of God. And so throughout our whole service here, we want you to experience God and to worship him through the singing of his word, through the practice of giving, through listening to the teaching, all the way through until we have fellowship together with one another in the next hall. If you came in, you should have received one of these bulletins. Did everybody get one of these? Now, we hand these out for a couple of reasons. One, we want to let you know what's going on in our community uh, because we don't just meet here on Sundays. This is just part of our, our living together in community. We want to really do life with one another. And we do that in several ways. We, we gather together. We break bread together. Uh, lunch. See, if you just follow through these announcements with me. Um, every week we have lunch together. If you, if you look at the Bible, it's a lot of things happen around food. When Jesus ministered to people, he started off with food for the most part. And that just that goes right into our worship. I'm part of a men's study group at 6 30 every Thursday at Kelly. And we don't really call ourselves a Bible study. It's, it's, it's a fellowship. We do. We're going through Proverbs right now. We just do one chapter a week. And people bring their, their, their coffee or their tea or, or whatever they bring in the morning. And we just gather around. We read the word and we, we talk. I, I love that group because it's gone beyond just just a Bible study. It's We're getting to know each other. We're getting to know one another. Um, is, is Rob here or there's a couple of guys here that are part of that study? I encourage you men to come out for that. Um, Officer Christian Fellowship, the, the Walendas, uh, every Friday at 7 p.m. Is, is Gary here? And... Okay, right on. Uh, Protestant women of the Chapel, how many... How many uh, men here are, are Geo Geo batch? Because some of our 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 wives are in Poland with Pwak. I'm all the only one. Okay, yeah, that's uh, talk to Jody. Hospitality night at the Bryans Thursday night, uh, six to eight dinner conversation. That's wonderful. Okay, so if you, and then youth ministry. Okay, how many youth do we have in here? Actually, we're all children of God, so everybody can raise their hand. But we have a thriving youth, youth presence. Um, we gather together uh, frequently. So let's, let's get plugged in. Okay. Uh, with that, here's a list of things that we have on ways that you can serve here. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to, to make this place uh, function. Function. And what we also want to do is create a culture, a community, where people are contributors versus consumers. That's just what the body of Christ is. And so we come here, and if you have, you know, a, I jokingly say this, but uh, for years I had this gift. It's called the gift of criticism. Does anybody have that gift? Like you could walk in anywhere and just point out all, everything that's wrong with the place and not contribute. That was me for, for a long time until I felt like convicted to actually start. Start contributing, but if you want to know how to contribute, here's here's one way to do it. Okay, let's move on in our service to uh, the reading of God's word. Oh, oh, stop! Sorry. Psalm, please please down with me, and we will go with Psalm in the Psalm book number eight. be seated. We're going to be hearing from God's Word today. you would open up in your Bibles to First Samuel chapter 18. And our first reader.
1: Hello? My name is Joshua Belinda, and I will be reading the Old Testament scripture. First Samuel 18, 6 through 14, should be found page 204 in your uh, Bibles at the pews. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul of tambourines with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his 10 thousands. And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David 10 thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judea loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Good
2: morning. Uh, My name is Josh Zipper. I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with the prayer of supplication. To the end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare and boldly as I ought to speak. This concludes the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks guys for that
0: reading. Very, very powerful, powerful uh, verses. That's a good segue into confession, um, our next portion. Yeah, I, I love that passage that, that Josh read. It says that our, our we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That means whoever's in front of me, who I think is giving me a hard time, is really not my enemy. That means my... my Children, when, when we argue, they're, they're not my enemy. It means that if I'm at odds with my spouse, then that's not my struggle. There's something else. If there's something. If if this if this is about spiritual warfare, maybe it's not the people or the circumstances or the things in front of me. Maybe there's something deeper. And that's what we, that's what we do here. We get our eyes focused when we we come in with with heavy heavy weeks. anybody anybody there? He, it all takes us for someone to say one thing to you, and it can ruin your day or, or mess you up in the mind. And then we're here, and we gather together to remind each other of where I should be. It's spiritual. The, the, the struggle is spiritual. It goes way beyond what we see here. And, and this moment is, is, is a sacred moment. This, this moment of where we get to come here and practice confession of sin. And week by week, we go through the, really the mechanics of confession, if, for, for lack of a better word. That First John 1, nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And week by week, if you could get any rhythm in your, in your soul, it's confession of sin precedes thanksgiving. So so this moment is where we get to pray and say, Lord, I did this. I said this. I looked at this. I have have sinned. And to name it specifically, homo legale, say exactly what you did. And then in your next breath, say, thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your forgiveness. And from there, as we depart this place, maybe that vertical forgiveness might take place horizontally with one another because things happen, because we get in fights on our way here. People get yelled at on their way here. But that's, what, that's the beauty of this, confession and repentance in the midst of community. That's what we practice here. That's what we're going to do until Jesus comes and takes us home. Amen. Let's take 60 seconds to, to pray Confess our sins to God and go into Thanksgiving as many times as you can in this this moment and throughout the service. Let's practice this. Let, Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to come directly to you, straight to the throne of God, with grace and mercy. Thank you that we are able, in this age, in this time, to confess our sins directly to you, and that you promise us righteousness and forgiveness. Lord, make us conduits of your grace, mercy, and peace today. As we remain in the light, as you are in the light, as we confess sins every day, all throughout the day. And as we extend forgiveness to each other as well. as We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to call up the, the ushers as we move into the next portion of our worship service. Please stand as we sing the dark song. portion is is uh the hearing of god's word the hearing of teaching of god's word uh would you please bow your heads and, and pray with me father we thank you for your word would you teach us something today through the psalms through this first psalm of ascent thank you for pastor eric and his heart for your people and for your word for the gentleness that that is displayed through him. Lord, would you bless the portion that he's going to teach today? Lord, thank you for teaching us a way to pray. And you taught us to pray in one way like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, Amen. hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our day of us
3: we have those against us. us, to us have to Thank you, Ryan. Hey, there's a married couple among us um, that will soon leave Stuttgart. They've been a part of this uh, spiritual legacy here for for quite a number of years, long before I was arrived here, and uh, certainly have been a part of God's work through this chapel, I know I would be most uh, most genuinely sad to see them leave. Um, Steve and Christine Galphus. Um, for years they have been serving behind the scenes, um, giving generously in ways that uh, you and I both have never known. Um, I might describe the role of the body of Christ as what I call the invisible helping hand. Let me give you an example. Um, Once this past summer, um, our chapel's refrigerator was accidentally not closed all the way. And you know what happens when the refrigerator's not closed all the way, it causes the freezer to work extra hard, and it ended up freezing out the whole whole refrigerator inside. Um, It was like one block of ice. So what did this person do on a given Sunday? They, um, With a handheld (laughs) hairdryer. They held that hairdryer up to the freezer and defrosted it for us. That is the kind of labor of love that uh, Christine and Steve have shown to us. So it's tempting. It's very tempting for me to call them up. Um, I want to acknowledge them. I want to publicly thank them. But I'm not going to do so. It's not their style. It's not their desire. So I would honor their wish. Their reward is in heaven. And so I'll just keep those invisible helping hands invisible for a while. But if you're here during the fellowship hour, I think we'll pray for them and send them on their way with, with a little gift we have for them. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the best chapels are the ones where you feel like you're a part of it, where you feel like you, you own it. It is your chapel. Um, these two invisible helping hands are leaving, and so I just kindly, kindly would ask you to think about ways that, that you might invest in this little humble body of Christ in the middle of Stuttgart, in the middle of Germany. We're just a humble little chapel moving along. But it means so much when you take ownership of it. So keep your eyes open for ways that you can strengthen this little body of Christ. Eventually, all of us are going to leave Stuttgart, Within a couple weeks, or maybe a couple of months, or maybe this coming summer. Um, but before you do, we want to prepare you for the next season of life with teaching that is hopefully most helpful and very applicable to, to us who are in the military community. Civilian or military, it doesn't matter. It's true, all of God's word, as you know, all 66 books are most helpful. All scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You know that from 1 Timothy. But I find it so fascinating. And I'm really drawn to the fact that so much of our scripture text seems to be written for a transient audience. Have you noticed that? For people on the move. For people who are packing up soon. Or people who are moving People living in rooms filled with brown cardboard boxes and pack-up right Now, Kaylee, I'm thinking of you. For people who are longing for a home. For people like you and me. So in the middle of our Bible is a large book. The largest book of the Bible called the Psalms. You've heard the Psalms. A collection of 150 different songs. It's the song book. It's the Psalter of God's Word. Here you find the most honest, the most raw emotion God's people are wrestling through. They've got, they, they're very vulnerable. They show, their de- they show their depression. They show the injustices that are feeling. They're lonely. They feel forgotten. They don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. They don't feel noticed by God. And how beautiful is it that we have a God that would honor that emotion and put it in a book codified for us to read for generations. But what's so beautiful about these psalmists and like every good godly musician is that they wrestle with their emotions and they find their rest and they find their contentment in the Lord. I think it's fascinating that Jesus knew these psalms that we're going to read soon. He often memorized them. He quoted them from the cross. And so it should be a fascinating thought for you that whenever you sit and whenever you chew on and meditate with these psalms over a cup of coffee, think about the fact that Jesus did the same. Some of the psalms are older. One psalm was written about 1400 B.C. by Moses. Other psalms are most written, probably in the 500, 600. So they, the psalms, they span about 1,000 years of history. Some are written by teams of the musicians, the sons of Korah. Some are written by individual famous men we know, like King David. David cultivated his musical skill. That's why I loved it, Max, when you came today and you played the piano for us. Ethan, a couple of weeks ago, when you played the cello for us, that's fantastic, young men and women using their skill for God's glory. Rachel, Suzanne, on the organ, I mean... This is a skill that all of us should value and and cultivate in our lives. So those of you who are spying among young musicians in our crowd today, those dreaded piano lessons that you just want to get through, stick with it. Stick with it because it's a skill you can cultivate for God's glory. So there happens to be a group of psalms. Psalm 120 through 134 We call them the Psalms of Ascent. I think they're specially designed for a military, trancing culture like us. They are, when you read them, there's a there's an intense longing for home. They love family connection. There's a even you know they're even angry because the world doesn't understand them. Kind of like us. You might call them traveling songs. You might call them homeward marches. Songs for people on the move. And so for the next 12 weeks, as we march up to Christmas together, let's look intently at these songs of Ascent. Here we'll find practical lessons for traveling, designed for transient people like us on the move. For those of us who are traveling together with the purpose of meeting Jesus one day face to face. So let's think about um, first these, um, these psalms that are written and who wrote and who first sang them. Um, I love biblical archaeology. I hope you find a passion for it too. It has grounded my faith in very practical ways. Um, the next time you go to London, visit the British Museum. Um, there are small little clay tablets in there written in cuneiform which confirm the historical accuracy of the Bible. Um, One of these um, tablets I have for you on the screen here, this is Babylonian Chronicle number 5. It documents the military conquests of King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It confirms the historicity of the book of Daniel, the names in there. It gives us exact date of the siege of some of the Judean cities, probably Jerusalem on March 16th, 597 B.C., Time when Babylon surrounded that town and starved them out with siege warfare. You can read about that book in, in uh, Jeremiah and all the the horrible atrocities in the Book of Lamentations. It confirms some of the military and political exploits against Israel. It specifically mentions King Jehoiachin and the appointment of this man named Zedekiah. It, it affirms Second Chronicles thirty six. And mostly it confirms this tragically sad era when God's people were forcefully taken out of their homes, moving to what is modern-day Iraq. Love archaeology. Here's another one that you might see, very important one in the British Museum, this artifact called the Cyrus Cylinder. It describes in detail the declaration of King Cyrus in Persia at the time to return people to their places of worship. Ezra was a part of that process the biblical book but named after him, specifically gives over 42,000 people who caravanned, caravanned, we estimate to be 700 miles moving back from Iraq to modern-day Israel. So, the point, getting to Psalms of Ascent. We know that these these mass exodus of people from exile from, from Iraq to Jerusalem happened. So what would you do during a 700 mile walk. When you walk with about 42,000 plus other people in mass, what would you do to pass the time? That's right, you sing. And many believe that these Psalms of Ascent may have had their origin during this, this 700 mile journey from, from Iraq to Jerusalem. The Psalms of Ascent were probably also written during the pilgrimages, pilgrimages of, of Jerusalem when they would send upward to Jerusalem. This picture, I love it here. It shows a nice terrain map of Israel. You see Nazareth at the very top in white. And then you have the probable pilgrimages. They came down on the right-hand side of screen down that, that rift valley of, of, the, of the Jordan River, down to where the Dead Sea is. You can't see it on the right side of the They Then hit, they hit Jericho, right? And Jericho is about 1,400 feet below sea level. And they would march up 20 miles, this green line, you see here all the way to Jerusalem. That's about, that's about from, if Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet above sea level and you have the Dead Sea about 1,400 below, that's about 5,000 feet in elevation. They'd have to ascend where they'd go up to Jerusalem. And so three times a year, God's people would caravan in the fall, in the summer, in the spring, in the fall, with the Feast of Booths. Ironically, it's happening next week in Israel, 9 through 16 in October. The time when they felt like, when they're reminded that they didn't live in homes, they lived in makeshift little tents. And in the summer, the, the Feast of Weeks of Pentecost. You remember Pentecost, don't you, from the book of Acts? All those gathered in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit fell upon it. That was the gathering of Pentecost, that pilgrimage that Israel would take. And in the spring, of course, that's to celebrate Passover. You remember from Jesus' early life, Luke chapter 2, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, they traveled to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover when Jesus was just 12 years old. They went up, is what the scripture says. So, the point. There's reason to believe that Jesus learned these very Psalms of ascent that we're going to learn in the next few weeks. This is a picture of a modern-day road of the ascent from Jerusalem up to Jericho. And what do you do when you walk uphill, 5,000-mile steps uphill, 5,000-mile feet uphill? What makes time go faster? You sing. And this is the same thing we do in the military. You remember, don't you? You know how it goes, right? When we sing, we're on the road. Can you guys clap for me? I'm going to keep you this? Come on, let me hear it it's like, remember the last Instagram? It's saying it with me. When my friend was 91, she walked to Jerusalem just four times. Right, here we go. Five five. when my was 92, she walked to Jerusalem faster than you. She That's a good enough. But you know, that's, that's what they're saying, really. You weren't there. but Yes, but when you walk up to Jerusalem, you sing. And that's the spirit of these psalms of ascent. They're meant to inspire people as they went up to places of worship. So granted, we are not in Jerusalem today. But we have these psalms of ascent helping us take steps, steps, steps towards heaven. So today's psalm was 120 I'd like to read it for you and I'd love you just to listen to today. Let me read for you the very first Psalm of Ascent. Psalm 120. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? What shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the juniper tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kadar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. But I, I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. So, that's the first traveling song. And if you're going to write a traveling song, include it in your first songbook. Isn't it interesting that the first song would be about the tongue? Or should I say, the destructiveness of the human tongue? This picture you've seen right here, you've seen it in the news Hurricane Ian. You've seen how 150 mile per hour sustained winds and storm surge can destroy homes, can destroy cities, can destroy lives. But as the psalmist notes, so too can a storm of words or a surge of words, instead of storm surge, let's call it tongue surge, can destroy a a person's spirit and can be just as destructive as a storm. Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Psalm 64, their tongues are like swords. Bitter words are, are arrows shooting from ambush. Have you ever been ambushed by words? <clears throat> the writer Psalm 120 has. He's been ambushed and he's been shot. You see the distress in the first verse. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me, deliver me from lying, lying lips and deceitful tongue. The writer goes on because he's angry. He wants justice against words. In verse 3 and 4, he says, what shall be given to you? What shall be done to you, deceitful tongue? Then he describes what you know to be true, that the tongue can be weaponized. And it is. He says, they deserve sharp arrows, a warrior's sharp arrows, and glowing coals of the juniper tree. So first he sings that words are like sharp arrows. Do you know that to be true? Words that hit fast and go deep. Like the passages that Josh read today from Ephesians, words can be like flaming missiles from the evil one. Yes, lies are sharp, you know that. When people speak about you behind your back, you know how much that hurts like an arrow going deep. But jokes are also sharp arrows. Joking about others are weapons. In Ephesians, God encouraged us, let it be not a named among you Christians for coarse jesting. Sarcasm is another sharp, wounding arrow. Sarcasm, let's break it down. Do you know what it means? Sarks. From the Greek meaning flesh. Chasm from the Greek from meaning to cut and to rip. Sarcasm, when you put the etymology of the word together, sarx, chasm, means to cut flesh. Sarcasm may be funny, but it's very confusing to those who are on the receiving end. And that's why sarcasm and joking are such sharp words, like a warrior's arrow. The second weapon that's brought up in the scripture, is really fascinating. The psalmist describes glowing coals from the juniper tree. Let me explain. I grew up in Arizona. Uh, most of my teenage life spent there too. I used to be a Boy Scout in my younger days. And once a month when we were kids, we used to go camping in northern Arizona in the high mountain region. Um, what kind of trees do they have in Arizona? <laughs> Not very many. Um, they do have cactus, as you know. Uh, but they do have pine, and they do have a lot of juniper in the northern um, Arizona highlands by the Mogollon Rim. What do scouts do? Yes, we're good at one thing. We make fires. We're really good at making fires. And we learned really well at a young age the difference between types of wood and how it burns. Um, one time we made this campfire, and it burned hot overnight. We thought it was put out. We left the next morning. We left the camp, and we thought everything was fine. But a couple days later, we find out that our fire was so hot that it actually caught a root on fire. And that root went down probably 10, 15 feet underground and went around and ignited a tree. The tree came up in fire. Actually, we started forest fire. And they actually had to call a helicopter in. We actually saw it because we weren't too far out. They, they brought this helicopter around, grabbed the, the, um, the bucket of water out of, of one of the lakes, came over and dropped it on the, <laughs> on the tree. We saw it as little scouts, and it was um, quite an amazing, quite a sobering fact. Juniper. Juniper burns hot because it's a hard, hard wood. Sometimes it even lasts for months, believe it or not, a good county juniper. The point is that uh, so it is with our words. Sometimes words burn for a long time. So it's good for us to ponder. What words have we used that are sharp arrows? What words have we spoken that still might be burning like juniper coals? And what might we say to help put out an old fire or coals that are are still smoldering? In verses five through seven, the song continues. He says, Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. He says, Too long. Too long I've had my dwelling among those who hate peace. The writer's tired. He's tired, just like you and I are tired of being surrounded by people who are, who are always speaking harsh words around us. Meshach and Kedar describe notoriously violent people. Meshach, descendant of Noah's son, Japheth, tribal lands to Israel's north, Kedar, Ishmael's son, violent tribes to Israel's east. And still today, even though we're so far removed, what's it like being surrounded by unpeaceful people who constantly war with their words? What's it like being around people who always feel like they need to win? With their words. What's it like being in an ultra competitive home? By those who consistently feel like they have to put others down or one up somebody or talk about someone in a demeaning way, surrounded by critique. Never good enough. There's always something that has to be improved. In. And just to be fair, the absence of words it can be just as harmful. Right? The silent treatment. <laughs> Ever experienced a silent treatment? Just as wounding. But Psalm 20, what a beautiful place to start this walking put together. It's a song about the distress of weaponry, yes, but it forces us to check our own words. But in verse 7 is, the, is the, kind of the chorus, I think, of it. He says, Peace. I am for peace. The word is literally Shalom. I am a man or a woman at rest. I'm whole. I'm at peace. I am Shalom. People who are walking in peace. Men and women who truly get Shalom and understand it in themselves, understand that God's that God has a design for the human tongue. They know that God designed our tongue to bless, not to curse. Our lips were formed to kiss, not to curse. Our tongue was designed not to lie. It is the ninth commandment. Not to bear false witness, but to speak the truth. Yes, we should be Passive? Absolutely not. But we should be truth speakers. But, as you know from Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. Our tongue was designed to encourage, to strengthen, to be life giving. And like we heard today, it was designed to create music, to sing. And as Josh Zipper read too, to open our mouths boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. What a privilege we have to have our human tongue. This last slide here is a picture of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, if you know the passage. I hope Isaiah relates to you when he says, in his own words, Isaiah says, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people with unclean lips. But may Isaiah's vision be just like ours. He says, he had this vision. He said, then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me. He had in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the altar. Get it, a coal from the altar. And he touched my mouth with a coal, and he said, behold, behold, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from you and your sin is atoned for. I don't know about you, but if I have, I've had no long term success trying to will myself to speak better words. It's because my words are an expression of my soul and my heart. And someone has to operate on my soul and heart, and I can't touch that. Someone with a greater power than my own has to touch both my mouth and my soul. Ironically, Jesus has given us something that can touch both our lips and our souls at the same time. Empowered with his Holy Spirit, of course. His broken body. His blood, as a promise, our forgiveness is what we experience today when we have the tangible bread and the wine they touch our lips. Today, as you take the bread and the wine, I pray that as it touches your lips and your mouth, may it also find somehow connection to your soul. May the reality of Jesus' sacrifice to you deeply touch your soul, but also may it have a working-out impact on the words, on your tongue, and your lips. Communion is special. It is holy. It is not to be taken irreverently. It's a moment for those who are committed followers of the Lord Jesus So if you see this just as juice and wafers, I just kindly ask you to let the elements pass until you really understand, until you know the one whom these elements represent. So as our ushers come forward to help me now, take time to think upon the sacrifice of Lord Jesus, what it means to proclaim the Lord's death, and please hold these elements, if you will, the bread and the wine, the juice together until everyone is served. And then when, we're, when we finish together, we will commune together and re- proclaim the Lord's death as one body. You know this treasured scripture, but let hear it again fresh. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. It's is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the very same way, he took a cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you are interested in walking with us through these Psalms of Ascent one at a time per week, let's ask the Holy Spirit for help. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, through the Lord Jesus, with the help of the Helper of the Holy Spirit, convict us, Lord, convict us in the moment when we weaponize our words. Give us awareness today for those who carry those hot juniper coals. And give us the words and the courage to put those fires out that were ignited long ago. And most of all, Heavenly Father, settle our soul with your with Your peace, with your solace, with your rest. Jesus, we ask you to own our souls so that everything that we speak out of our souls represents you in the finest way. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to remind us of the way that you designed our tongues and our lips to speak the truth to be a blessing, to sing, and to boldly proclaim the reality of the healing and the resurrection of our living Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Well said. Please stand with us as we sing our final hymn together. Hymn number 21, Go for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Before we close with our patriotic hymn I'm pleased to receive our benediction Father may the words of our mouth be believed in to you May a meditation of our heart be a reflection of change be done in our hearts thank you for my friends here today who celebrate the resurrection on a Sunday hope it empowers them through this week to be represented wherever you have place in the sukkah So thank you for this family. May we be pleasing to you today. Living Lord Jesus.
4: Amen. Amen.